Hi, this is Ryan Stegman, artist of Superior Spider-Man and the upcoming Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows, and you're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The Amazing Spider-Talk The Amazing Spider-Talk Come swing through the air Sit back and prepare For the Amazing Spider-Talk Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and an editor at Superior Spider Talk. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone, for the 25th episode, I guess an extra large episode, of our coverage of Volume 4 of Amazing Spider-Man. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, Dan, and for this episode, we'll be charging all our listeners $47 to listen. Because <laughs> that's what we do. No, no, of course not. It's, it's, it's free as always, you know, except for those Patreon people. But regardless, we'll be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 4, Number 25 by... Okay, deep breath here. Dan Slott, Stuart Eminen, Christos Gage, Todd Nock, Giuseppe Camancoli, Jacob Chabot, Ray Anthony Height, Hannah Blumerick, Kale Atkinson, Tana Ford, and of course, The Beaver. <laughs> then, we'll read your, then we'll read your comments and emails, give away some prizes, and discuss all the spider news that's fit to print. Or maybe like instead of The Beaver, it should be like a picture of Alice the Maid that just comes up in the middle here. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally see that. Somebody out there, please work on that image. <laughs> and, B, and B. Davis is Alice. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Mark, you just got done running the New York Half Marathon, which is amazing. Let's go through the marathon that is this issue. What's new? It's worth then noting that you know we probably need to get through this marathon of an of an issue before Mark falls asleep on the air. Um, so, <laughs> um, so anyway, how many beers amazing... deep are you right now, Mark? Oh, this is not even beer talking. This is this is sleep deprivation at this point. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I've been I've been up for about seventeen hours right now, people. So, um, you know. And and let me tell you, these podcasts, they come together fast. Uh, <laughs> Mark, uh, I think this is the nine ninety nine issue we've been joking about for quite a while. And in terms of our listenership, it's actually going to be quite interesting because if there is an issue that we've discussed on the show that people probably didn't read immediately and perhaps are waiting on Marvel Unlimited or whatever – 
for it's probably going to be this issue. I mean, $10 is a lot to drop on a single issue. If you had in like two sentences to describe what goes on in the A story of this issue, how would you do it? Well, I I mean, in terms of a short synopsis of the A story, I mean, it's the first chapter of the Osborne identity, which is the new arc. And it's basically, you know, a post-clone conspiracy Spider-Man. He's a little darker and angstier and he's, quote unquote, looking for a win. And um, by looking for a win, it's him and Mockingbird kind of globetrotting a bit, hunting for the chameleon-esque Norman Osborn um, and hijinks ensue. And no, I shouldn't say hijinks because it's not like this is a fun issue, but not like fun, like haha jokey. It's you know kind of fun in a lot of the ways that the um, I felt the first few issues of this volume were fun in terms of kind of this, you know, international Tony Stark-esque Spider-Man, man of, uh, you know, shield agent hopping around the globe cool gadgets you know not sure who the where the villain can be found things like that um but um you know it's a lot of setup for in this issue so i don't know if you could say a lot happens but it was fast paced i mean what, what i mean what do you think i mean is this in terms of the pacing am i am i off base in thinking like there was kind of a snappierness, a snappiness to this issue that um, we haven't had in a while in a lot of Spider-Man stories, right? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think there's a couple pages that are a bit of a lull, which we can talk about. Some of them are good, you know, like uh, a nice breather. Some of them are a bit awkward. Um, but overall, I mean, I think, yes, the pace is very snappy. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Spider-Man front and center is the driving force behind the narrative action in this story, um, which I think is the common unifier between this story and all the other stories we've liked in this volume. Yeah, I mean, and even going to like one of the – it's like the first double-page spread of this issue. And and hello, welcome to Amazing Spider-Man, officially Stuart Eminem, right? I mean, just – Fantastic stuff, but there's this double page spread of of Spider Man and, and Mockingbird with the uh, what is it? It's 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 a new tarantula, and then what was the other character? Um, the South America they were like South American spider characters, which yeah. kind of um, that. But like you know, Spider Man is kind of crouched down, very like you know iconic pose, but he's he is front and center across two pages. It's beautiful. It's dynamic. Um, and I think it symbolizes like what you're saying, a lot of what we like about Spider-Man comics, you know, when, when he's, he's the star attraction and it felt that way from the beginning. I think I, you know, maybe, maybe I'm going too far in praising the new guy, but like, I, I, I feel like Eminem really kind of focused slot on the prize here. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, I loved his stuff in Ultimate Spider-Man, but he has come a long way and is, like, one of the most versatile artists that Marvel has in its stable. And Spider-Man is kind of, like, where he should be. You know, he made his first big splash on Spider-Man in the Ultimate book, and 
this is a like an appropriate like debut for him in this book and his Spider-Man moves exactly how I imagine he should. You know, sometimes with Common Cole, as much as I like elements of his art, like his Spider-Man sometimes seems a little bit like stiff and and poses a bit awkwardly, but here like this Spider-Man moves like I imagine he should. He's upside down, flipping, shooting webs everywhere. His limbs are all akimbo. You know, he's yeah. he, he is the, like this lean, mean fighting machine. And uh, and I think combined with Dan Slott's writing, Spider-Man dives into things headfirst. Maybe not the smartest or, or anything like that, but like he's always doing something to drive this thing forward. And I, uh, I got to say, I think this is the most fun I've had reading an issue of Amazing Spider-Man since maybe uh, the Superior era. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. And and I mean, you know, Dan, a few episodes ago, you had kind of mentioned, you know, the the artist kind of serving as the um, what like the cinematographer. Of yeah. the um, of the comic, and I, you know, I I kind of like kind of clung to that analogy since you said it, and and I think like it's really true here because I I I, I really do feel that Eminem's kind of vision for how this character should be visually and and kind of in the frame really helped augment the writing. You know, like there were there, there were some sequences, and we can talk specifics that were. You know, the writing, I don't think any good artist was going to save it. I mean, there were some awkward turns of phrases and just awkward exchanges, period, um, in in this comic. But in terms of, like, when when it was Spider-Man doing Spider-Man stuff, I think just the way Eminem saw it visually, I think, kind of picked up the writing significantly. Yeah, I I totally agree with that, and um, I mean everything is right. The bad guys are scary. Uh, you know the 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 scenes with Peter and his family and friends are warm and full of like love and character. I mean, there's just so much that you know radiates out from this artwork and the way. I mean, how Spider-Man moves. I, you know, I, I talked a little bit about it a second ago, but like it influences every element of this book, how it reads as a comic, how he guides your our eye. It's just so fun and, and, and such a joy to read. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how much an artist like Eminem, you know, like whether or not he has enough influence to say, like, let's go check out the supporting cast. But like it's weird to me that we get a new artist on and suddenly the book feels like a, a Spider-Man comic again. Like, is there, it's, it's hard for me not to like make that distinction and that connection. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and even like, I mean, things like, okay, we have very early on, there's this kind of mystery veiled female character, which, you know, thanks solicitations. We knew it was Silver Sable. I mean, did you have any doubt from the get-go it was Silver Sable? That was kind of the shrouded mystery character. No, I, I, I absolutely. I mean, obviously the solicits gave it away, but I think even then, if you really like took a second to look at it, you probably would figure it out. Right, but like even putting that aside, like I was still com- compelled by this subplot because, like, I mean, again, just kind of the the 
the the shadowy kind of figure kind of coming in and out and then like this havoc it's this character is initially causing with the with the explosion to start and kind of causing Osborne to scamper i mean there was a lot of tension um in in these scenes like and and you know i feel again that the the yes i mean the 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 script kind of telegraphed the tension but the the visuals is what really brought it home and i and i I'm, you know to not to throw shade at other artists but like i mean i said that a lot with segments of of um clone conspiracy with jim chung i felt that his artwork kind of sold more of the drama than maybe i would have been sold if it was kamikoli again or even Roberto ramos you know like it was kind of a kind of a cut above in selling that. But um, here I think really ratcheted up another level to the fact that, you know, you kind of knew what was the secret of the issue before we had it revealed to us, but it's still kind of like, Ooh, what's going on here? This is kind of, this is, this is, this is weird. This is tense, right? You got to love a Spider-Man trapped underground uh, and get finding his way out through water story. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> it's as, it's as classic as they come uh with, with, with two with two other spider characters like you know sniping at him the whole time <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i really dug this i love how he drew the tech was really fun uh mm-hmm. i mean all that stuff is great um but i think for me the big win of this story uh and, and i i use that phrasing purposefully is that Spider-Man's goal here is to get a win, and I totally buy that motivation, and while I didn't necessarily buy the clone conspiracy and the drama of that story, like, if I'm meant to buy that drama coming out of that, I felt like this was a really great motivation for the character. Um, and and to, just to add something kind of funny, I remember when uh, Trump won the election, I tweeted to Dan Slott, you know, that, like... Um, you know, I look to Spider-Man comics in, in times when I'm feeling down, and I would love it if Spider-Man got a win uh, yeah. for once. And I'm not saying he listened to me, but like, uh, like it's not even just for myself. It's nice to see the character say, declare out loud, like it's time to get a win. It's time to get a win. What What did you think of that? No, I I, I agree, and and it's and it's good. It's very straightforward uncomplicated motivation and i think you know talking about getting a win i feel that we as readers need something like that to 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 glom onto you know like we, we it's it's so much over the last few years has been kind of overly complicated and you know, new mythology or or you know like like you know you're kind of sitting there being like but wait why why would he be doing it you know like it, it it you know we talk about serving character over story or story over character but here it's just like you know no nah, he's going after his his historic his nemesis and you know why because he's just been through a lot of crap and he needs a win and it's like yeah. Okay. You know, I, he's, <laughs> and I buy that motivation a lot more than like I've been looking for Osborne all this time. Like I'm glad that that was kind of jettisoned and you know he's just looking for a win. Although I do think some of his frustrations about it are a little like overplayed. Like when he destroys the table, even though I love the Nick Fury line, that was a spy table and those are extra expensive. Right. Um, 
you you say something that I think uh, permeates through this entire A story, which is like that it's simple and 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 classic, and and there's something about the stakes in this issue that I think like are so refreshing. Bringing Aunt May back into it, like as you know, a potential victim. It really highlights why that was so important during the Stanley run, like that Aunt May was this new figure in peril. Because by the end of this story, when they're at this party and Norman Osborne may or may not be, you know, sneaking around, the minute you put Aunt May into that scenario, and Peter even says it on the plane, he's like, what could get worse than. Harry and Aunt May coming along on a hunt for Norman Osborn, I was immediately like, yeah, I care. Like, I'm scared. And, and, and these stakes feel real. Yeah. And, like, you know, you got you to gotta imagine, like, you know, not to jump to the end here, but, like, you know, in at the Foundation Gala or whatever you want to call it, when you saw, like, the, the sniper scope, I mean, you know, yeah, it, it was kind of zeroing in on... on Osborne presumably, but like you know, your your brain probably goes back to like what back in black or whatever when when Aunt May is is shot by the sniper. There, it's like you know these this idea that when when these chess pieces are on the table like this, anything can happen. You know, it's 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 great simple drama. Yeah, and and, and again back to kind of like this. I I totally agree with you. And back into the simplicity, like I actually really dig. This new version of Norman Osborn because you can never really put the genie back in the bottle in regards to like Osborn being redefined by, um, you know, who is the man under the mask, you know, um, and they don't really seem to want unless by the end of the story we get this that Osborn knows Peter's identity again, but okay. they've almost done the next next best thing, which is like well, if we if we, uh, you know, if we can't, you know keep you guessing about who he is why not restore danger to this character that everybody knows that he's the green goblin by changing his face up and and not in a way that like mason banks who is just hidden away like we're going to make him actively a danger to people by obscuring it from them instead of the reader and i think that's great tension back to that whole like bomb under the table story you know like we as the audience know that danger is right there you know, and nobody else does. And that's great. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, and I did like how he kind of, right, this, I think this was said in the text itself, like kind of like what differentiates him from the chameleon, right? It's, 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 or it's, it's that, um, oh, I'm trying to think of what the line was. Um, he, can, he, he like can't change his face easily, but he's more resistant to pain. Yeah, it's 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 that he's he's got more he's more iron willed, you know what I mean? I think that was kind of what it was. He's got the will to just kind of sit, you know endure the pain and 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 keep keep stay a moving target. Um, which, did you, you think know, did you think the design of the warthog uh, was a callback to Ultimate Goblin? Yeah, maybe. I, I you know that didn't it didn't it didn't strike me as that initially, but now that you mentioned it, that certainly would make sense. I mean, you know, kind of like. He can run the gamut of all of his other personalities. <laughs> oh, you've <laughs> you know. got an ultimate Spider-Man artist on, on you know, on, on the book, and it, to me, it was like I was excited when I saw the preview, not knowing about the Warthog, because I was like, "Oh, are they taking it the Ultimate Goblin route?" And then clearly not. But uh... yeah, definitely. Um, 
You know, another thing, I mean, and this was kind of earlier in the in the comic, I mean, in addition to, like, the I need a win thing, I just also felt like some of the fallout from Clone Conspiracy was handled well here. I mean, like, it just seemed more succinct and, and, and consistent, whereas, you know, we had essentially three closing chapters to the Clone Conspiracy with, you know, the actual last chapter the epilogue issue and then like the omega issue which was like epilogue two and it seemed like in each iteration you know it kept straying between you know what what actually had an impact on on peter in terms of his relationship with these characters and here it was it seemed very succinct you know i lost people that you know and and he like was talking about like alexi uh with you know rhino and um and Jonah and like, you know, like we, we, we had people that we thought were lost and they're lost again. And, and that's, you know, how do you recover from that? Um, we even got the floating I, heads of guilt, uh, yeah, the, again. And I liked, I liked like even the little, um, little aside with Betty Brant and Ned Leeds where Betty is like, although I, you know, and I tweeted that Dan Slott and he didn't reply, which is a shame. You know, he made this joke to Betty about, you've never been the spiritual one. And I'm like, are we going to forget that classic web of story when Betty Brant was in a suicide cult? I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) She's been, she's been sucked into this kind of stuff before. (laughs) Yeah. Right. 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 Um, so speaking of like, like, uh, 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 like recovering from loss and, and stuff. What did you think about? Because um, like, there's a lot of like uh, um, attention paid to Peter's like pain and kind of like desire to win and kind of anger and frustration. I thought it was a weird pairing. I mean, I still really like this issue, but I thought it was a weird pairing with the kind of like flirty Bobby, you know, Mockingbird stuff. Where and and Aunt May, who seems to kind of like completely recovered from the death of her second husband. Um, I, I loved all those scenes, but they felt very strange to me matched up with, um, the kind of heaviness of Peter in the Spider-Man character. Yeah, that's true. I mean, definitely, I mean, just to deal with May first, I mean, those scenes were very good, um, between her and Peter and like, I just felt the banter was you know, like it was, it was a throwback, you know, like I, I, I felt in terms of how Peter spoke to May and, you know, was paying her the little compliments and stuff like that. Um, but she almost kind of, the way he was talking to her, it was almost kind of like Silver Age Peter and, you know, where May would just be kind of, you know, all, uh, you know, dowdy and, oh, oh yeah, well, you know, since, since Jay left, you know, what I mean? but, but that wasn't what we were getting, you know what I mean? Like instead it was just kind of like, okay, well, well, I um, was, I was waiting for it to turn like the other leaf, you know, like, uh, like going back to like the spectacular, you know, like the Harry Osborne era stuff where MJ started smoking, you know, where this kind of put on confidence and joviality, you know, has a little bit of a tell, you know, like she's doing something, that you can tell she's like covering up the pain, you know, uh, with, with kind of a false mask of happiness. But we never really got that. She just kind of seems like ready to move on and go on adventures with with Peter, um, which is fine. Uh, it just, you know, and and Peter moving on to asking out Bobby despite proclaiming how sad he is about losing Gwen again. You know, uh, it's comics, and I'm willing to you know let it go a bit. But uh, it's it's a strange pairing. I thought. 
Hey, he's on the rebound. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, at least they're, I guess you could say at least they're kind of paying off the flirtations from earlier in the series. But I mean, you know, we haven't touched that in what, six months, seven months. I mean, so it, it did seem odd um, to say the least. Um, and that wasn't even like, I feel the most problematic stuff between Peter and, and Bobby, if, if, you know, if I may, I mean, you know, like for example, the, uh, and I think unfortunately this was kind of picked up on, on some other websites, the, the scene involving the, I feel bad beating up Asians or whatever. Like, like what was that scene? <laughs> that was just bizarre. And- that might be the most bizarre page of Spider-Man comics I've read in a very long time. Yeah, I, 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 you know, it just, I don't, I don't know what Dan Slott was going for in doing that. I don't know if he for was those who to. didn't read it. There's a page where they're in Hong Kong and Peter stops Mockingbird and says, "Is it weird that all the people that we've been beating up are Asians? I miss beating up people of all different races." Like back in New York, can we go beat up someone that's not an Asian? <laughs> Essentially, um, like there's some kind of diversity quota for who Spider-Man chooses to beat up. Right. Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts? Where do you think this comes from? I mean, you know, I don't want to like overread and put words in a creator's mouth. I mean, but, you know, just kind of if you follow Dan Slott on Twitter, I mean, you know, there are certain arguments that he seems to have with frequency. One is making fun of Batman versus Superman. Uh, the other, <laughs> the other is, um, fighting arguing. with Rich Johnston. Yeah. Well, fighting Rich Johnston from bleeding cool. And I guess the, the, the last one is kind of having these fights over the, um, the casting of characters or, you know, prospective casting of comic book characters in, in live action media, whether, you know, can can there be a, a non-white Peter Parker? Can there be? And then, you know, there's the classic, well, then Luke Cage should be white, you know, and then Dan Slott, of course, fights that and on and on and on and on. <laughs> um, but um, so I don't know if that was alluding to that, but it if it was, it I don't think it hit the mark. Mm-hmm. It just came across as being very very awkward (laughs) my wondering is if it was like trying to get ahead of critics that would say like why is spider-man only beating up asian people recently but like i don't know really know where that you would get that from i mean there was that kind of thing we were talking about you know this kind of uh, there's a complication of kind of the american white guy going around the world like in africa fighting african warlords and the, the politics of it gets kind of sticky you know, um, and I yeah. wonder if this is trying to address that. It's just it's so out of nowhere uh, and so ineffective. It's it literally the strangest page I have ever read, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, so strange that it, it did. It, it does kind of worth lingering on on our end here. But um, yeah. So what else from the main story here? I mean, again, kind of going back to the Peter Bobby thing, not not to. 
again, not to get caught up in no prize territory, but I was kind of surprised by, you know, when he is kind of asking her out and he's doing it kind of under the guise of, uh, well, you know, you're you're a costume hero and I'm a costume hero. Maybe we, maybe we can find some common ground. And we've and both then, gone like, through terrible things. Yeah. And then like in very sitcom fashion, like Aunt May and Harry end up being on the plane behind him. And it's like, you know, my, my the first thing that came into my mind is like, wouldn't his spider sense have gone off? Let you know, alerting him that there were people on the plane that could have found out his identity if he like was too blatant about asking this girl out, you know, under you know, under the guise of I'm a superhero and you're a superhero. Uh, let's let's be superheroes together. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, am I am I am I being too too pedantic here, Dan, or did you think that too? I mean, I don't think so. But in terms of the spider sense, it's something that like I typically never think about unless like. It's called attention to because the spider sense works in such like fickle, mysterious, perhaps perhaps plot needed ways. Uh, yes, it's basically like his Deus Ex Machina power, you know, right. and it comes into action when he needs it and when he when he needs it to not come to you know. It's it is such a fickle thing. Whenever it shows up, I'm like, oh yeah, the spider sense. That's a thing. Well, well, Dan, not not to get tangential for a second because we do have a lot of comic to talk about here but since this is featured in my my upcoming book 100 things spider-man fans should know and do before they die pre-order it now uh <laughs> you know where the do you know how the spider sense came to be i did not so basically like in amazing spider-man number one dicko just decided to draw like little squiggly lines next to peter's head no reason, and Stanley was just like, "What the hell are those?" Dicko <laughs> is like, "It's like his sonar, you know, like a spider sense, like a bat." And Stanley's like, "Okay, great." <laughs> <laughs> so then Dicko like started to be like, "All right, well, I had to start putting spider sense in, otherwise, like, you know, Stan would have kept going back to what were those squiggly lines for?" <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I had never heard that story. Where did you where did so, you discover yeah. that? That was in a, a one of Dicko's essays from um his little fanzine cuz you know, he doesn't give interviews. So, but he does like he does pen a bunch of essays in this it's just a little two sheet front and back indie they call it a zine. It looks like photocopies to me. Uh called Well, that's in most zines. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, it's basically like Ditko's outlet for, you know, how he did everything and Stanley did nothing. Uh, <laughs> well, there you go. Which is, yeah, I'm sure there's some truth to that. But um, anyway, but yeah, so that's really, I mean, but even Ditko is kind of like, yeah, I just kind of looks like, oh, yeah, spider sense. Uh, and then it be, and then like. As time went on, it like became a thing because it was like Stanley. Well, what about the spider sense? If you put it in this one issue, you got to do it again, <laughs> right? And by issue two, he's using it to track down people with some kind of literal sonar. Yeah, exactly. Like a little radio transmitter. Well, or something, he's, he's right? picks I mean, up radio waves, doesn't he, with his spider sense? Yes. Yeah. I mean, sure. <laughs> There you go. There you go. Well, you know, speaking of the friends and stuff, you know, there's a line in, in, in this uh, issue where May says, you know, some days I wish it could go back to how it was. And to me, this issue seemed like the first real step back towards 
classic Spider-Man. Yes, we get the high-tech stuff, but it seemed like the stakes were changing. The, the status on Parker Industries started to change. Do, do you feel like this is the first step back towards uh, you know, a, a renewed classic status quo? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, you know, and and I didn't mention this in my review, and I probably should have. I mean, the one thing that was kind of missing from this story as a as a plot element, which I think would have played into this kind of back to where it was even more so, was the fact that we, unless I'm totally forgetting a, a scene, that we really didn't get much more of the fallout from the webware kind of on the fritz, did we? Well, they mention in this book that it's become like um, an object of scrutiny and that people don't trust it anymore and that they're throwing their webwares away um, and that webwares have been malfunctioning all over the globe. Um, okay. So See, I... it's in like one or two lines and they and, and, and you don't get much of it. All right, but no, but then you know what? That that's even more than I remembered, so that's fine. I should then I take back my criticism. Maybe that's why it wasn't in my review because it was fresher in my head. Uh, so so yes, Dan, I agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> um, so um, you want to talk about some of the other things that nine ninety nine apparently buys in a comic book? Yeah, sure. I mean, just to put a pin in this. We both think this is a pretty solid introduction to uh, this new storyline. Yeah, and 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 actually, you know, we we alluded to this earlier. The, the the final reveal of Sable, Silver Sable. I thought it was well done. Again, we knew it was coming, but like just the whole actual kind of pulling back the curtain. I thought it was very effective. And again, Stuart Eminent, he did it. He pulled. He, he knocked it out of the park. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful splash page, and there's a lot of beautiful splash pages here. I think of the one of Spidey and Mockingbird fighting through Hong Kong with all of the kind of, uh, like, uh, lettering and, and stuff. I thought that was amazing. But, um, and, you know, speaking of that reveal, the, I thought the cliffhanger in this was really effective. Like, I can't wait to read the next one because it kind of poses two interesting mysteries. You know, you have Norman, you know, sneaking through the crowd. And he sees Aunt May, and he's like, well, I'm going to go talk to May. And you wonder, well, what the heck would he say to May? You know? And then two, Sable, you know, says she was trying to kill Norman Osborn, but her rifle was pointed at Harry Osborn. Now, you could could say maybe that was a drawing mistake, but I don't think so. Um, What was your takeaway from that? Do you think there's a mystery to be had there? It could be a mystery. I mean, you know... I, I I cannot help but think when it comes to Harry that there's there's because of his history as a character there's always this chance that he goes rogue you know and maybe she knows something that we don't and we're gonna learn yeah I, it's just so strange to see her say I'm trying to kill Norman and see Harry in the crossfire I don't know what to make of it but it certainly has me intrigued more so than most cliffhangers in a Spider-Man book do. Definitely. Um, so I guess what, what was there officially six B stories in this comic? I mean, there were there were a ton of B stories of ranging consequence and quality. Techni- technically seven, if you count the Amazing Spider Ant. Oh right. Okay. Sorry. Um, so, and we got a letter page. You know, and for a letter page. once in the six months that they decided to do that. Right. Right. So um, certainly. 
we, we certainly had quantity. Um, what, what about quality? I mean, um, we started off with a clash story, you know, remember he's still here and it's by Christos Gage. So that's fun. Um, you know, it really didn't do much for me, the, the clash story. I mean, you know, kind of just made me say, Oh, right. He was, you know, he was really effective in that civil war two story, but now, eh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think it took anything away from the character. I like this kind of Robin Hood, uh, like, rewrite for the character. And what I thought was interesting about it is, like, it actually reminds me of the early days of Spider-Man. You know, he's this kind of misunderstood guy. You know, if we saw Spider-Man breaking into Roxxon, you know, to save animals from an obviously evil corporation... Like, we would say, yeah, he's the good guy. You know, that was a lot of Spider-Man stories. So Clash almost seems like a weird reflection now of, like, this kind of early vigilante Peter Parker, at least in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I, I you know, not to be picky, but it was just kind of like, okay, but where where do we actually go from here? I mean, I don't know. I you know, We certainly don't need a Clash story. You know what I mean? In terms of, or I should say a series, you know, despite probably Marvel's temptations to just take every character from the Spider-Man universe and give them their own book that they could sell for three ninety nine a pop. Um, I mean, you know, I guess it's, it's, it reminds us that he's still out there, but, but for the most part, it was kind of like, okay, moving right along. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> no, I, I agree with you in that regard. It's just like, I, I like, I like what they're doing with this character, even though this story really didn't do much for me. Um, right. Although I have to say, I, I have previously said on the show that Todd Nock is not an artist that I like particularly much. But I thought right. he changed up his art style in this in a way that kind of like softened some of his edges. And I, I, I thought this was a big improvement for him. So I'd like to see him keep pushing his style because uh, uh, he seems like someone they keep trying to put on a Spider-Man book, and I, I think he could get there someday. You just, you're just like ten percent there of trying to give him a good compliment, but you know, you're just not. You can't, you can't go all the way with it. I, li- I liked his art in this book. I, I, I and and I like him as a personality. As so, I want to see him succeed. Okay, so what about is it some some? Oh, I I roll. Why are we paying for this stuff? Like this, they should pay us to read these stories. Did I did I miss out on what a sum sum is? Like, is there some big cultural toy movement that I missed out on? Is this like the new Pogs I, or Micronauts? Yeah. Does your son Mom. know anything about sum sums? I don't think so. But you know, I don't always pay attention to everything he obsesses over. Is there desire um, for these stories? Like, why would you produce this? Yeah, and and there's more to come, apparently. Volume if, if, two. If, if the teaser's to be believed. Um, uh, yeah, it, I mean, this is... This is classic was, garbage. I mean, to me, this is where, you know, the quantity over quality really becomes apparent. Like, cla- the Clash story, you can kind of be like, okay, I mean, it's relevant. It didn't really... It's not necessarily going to lead to somewhere, you know, huge, but at least at least it's all kind of 
in the universe. This just seemed out of left field. And then so did the next one, um, this mutts ado about nothing. Yeah. Which to, which to me is just like, like, hey, let's let's have a little backup tale of Peter back in high school where he looks like Tom Holland because Tom Holland's going to be Spider-Man in the movie, right? I mean, was there any other... Any other reason for this story? I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. You know, classic Peter Parker where he has freckles. Right, right. Uh, you know, uh, and like, and kind of like, not curly hair, but a mop of hair. Yeah, I did not. I mean, I didn't even particularly like this story as a story. I mean, the story basically is Peter finds a mutt, takes it in. Aunt May says no, and then gets rid of the dog and gives him a goldfish. And if you if you're like, oh, it's a cute dog and it's a cute story, the dog gets totally shanghaied by the end. Like they're like, all right, well, you don't have a dog anymore. You have a goldfish. And me reading it, I'm like, did she call like animal control? Is the dog being put down? What's going on with the dog? (laughs) The dog was destroyed. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So heartwarming. I know. Right. Right. Um. Well, at least I guess Aunt May didn't look like um, Marissa Tomei, because then I really, I mean, well, I wouldn't have minded that, but. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine you're a dog. <laughs> imagine you're a dog. <laughs> you're not allowed to have a dog in this apartment, Peter. <laughs> so they took him back to the vet and blam! <laughs> Destroyed him. <laughs> Uh, we got this other story that is unnamed. Like, there's no name for it, as far as I know. With Tana Ford, you know, formerly of Silk's artwork. This thing yes. was borderline unreadable. <laughs> yeah, like you even talking about it right now. I'm like, which one was this? Like, it kind of blur. It's blurring together for me right now, Dan. Yeah, you have these kind of like villains that seem to be like running some kind of social media. Scam, which I've never really bought, even with that other um, – who is the other character that did, like, uh, parkour and asked for money? Oh, right. I, that was some, like, brand new day, right? Yeah, yeah. I forget her name right now. Somebody's shouting into their podcast with this character's yeah. name. But I never really buy that as a motivation. Like, oh, we'll kill these people if you don't give us, like, Kickstarter money <laughs> or whatever. Right. Um but, uh, man, I thought this art – I mean, I thought Tana Ford was okay on Silk, but, like, this Spider-Man is ugly. Yeah, it leaves a lot to be desired here. Um, did you like Amazing Spider-Ant? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're adorable. It's funny because I joked about it last issue, like, that all of the backups would be Amazing Spider-Ant. Uh these are fine. I'm happy to pay 50 cents or whatever more to get like a cute, amazing spider ant. They're like inessential, but they're – the art style is so wonderful and fully realized. You know, it's like a Mad Magazine. Uh, you know, it's it was totally just fine. I guess. I mean for me though, Dan, it's like – and there still is one more story which actually is going to have consequences. We'll get to that in a second. But it's like, you know – it's the 25th issue, so I guess, you know, if we're going by 90s logic, it needs to be something special. Um, and, but, like, you know, all these, like, inventory stories and cute little throwaways or even not cute throwaways. I mean, 
It's like, would you, would you rather have all this stuff into one thing and pay nine ninety nine for it, or would you rather just have like the main double story and maybe like one of these other stories, preferably probably the one we're about to talk about with Slot and Camo regarding um, Doc Ock, and pay five ninety nine for it. You know what I mean? And then yeah. these other little things can go into the next annual instead of the last annual, which was like what, like Peter on a cell phone or something, which was terrible, right? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know. Like, it would add value to an annual issue instead of, you know, again at five ninety nine instead of just jamming all this and making people pay ten bucks. And and as you alluded to in the beginning, I don't think. A lot of people did pay $10 for this issue. I'm going to be very curious to see what the sales on this comic are in terms of units, not 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 dollars. <laughs> well, it'll be hard to tell because they also stuff this thing with variants. And you know yeah. there are people out there that pick up every variant. I can think of a number of our most vocal listeners who bought every variant, you know. Yeah, but uh, that, but there were some cool variants Dan, and my store had them and I I wouldn't like not even just out of principle, but it's like $10 is a lot for a comic, you know, like, like, like I go, I pick, I, you know, I, I sub subscribe to like, I don't know, eight or nine books a month. So, you know, on a, any given week, I get three or four titles in my box and like maybe usually like once or twice a month, I'll, in addition to that, grab like an image paperback collection of a series i like you know what i mean and that's like that's kind of the upper threshold of what i spend on comics in a month that's what i can spend you know like i can't just throw money so like to like you know get three variant covers of this issue at you know with them even being marked up even more so like you know like yeah there's like the the 999 variants but then there are some that are 15 or 16 that's just too much right yeah i mean i expect backlash to this issue like if they want to launch a new arc off after the clone conspiracy which didn't sell very well you know you're going to get people to straight up drop this title because yeah. they're getting they're being so greedy uh, yeah, which, which is a shame. But but before we because you know we'll we'll when we give our grades we're going to grade the main story and then this, the the book as a whole. But before we do that, let's talk about this last one here with Otto, who now looks like <laughs> I mentioned in a text to you earlier today, Dan, that I thought he looked like Richard Spencer, the uh, the Nazi who got punched in the face uh, during Trump's inauguration. Sorry to be political, but he does, right? He kind of looks like yeah. Richard Spencer. I never thought about that. The minute you said it, I was like, that is so on point. Yeah. <laughs> which which also works because now apparently, like, Otto is going to be teaming with Hydra during Secret Empire, which makes him kind of a Nazi, right? I mean, so um, there you go. I he was always where... about that superior race, right? Right. I mean, it's it's – it's an odd pairing, and I don't know if I see – I mean, I guess in one end, like, Otto has always kind of been the one to have the faceless kind of goons working for him. I mean, obviously, like, the master planner story and plenty of others. Um, so to see him working with Hydra, it's not a stretch in that regard, but um, this was kind of not where I thought – 
the return of Otto is going to go in terms of being a part of Secret Empire and Spider-Man's role in that. So, um, but, you know, I think Marvel is determined to make Secret Empire mean something and mean something for all their individual characters. And this is obviously going to be Spider-Man's contribution to it. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I mean, I don't really know why Hydra wants to bring down Parker Industries, uh, but okay. Um, yeah, I feel it with you. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird pairing and it means that we're probably going to be getting Peter squaring off against Otto again really soon. And really, I think this needs a break. I feel like we're circling the same four villains and stories over and over again. You know, it's, it's Electro, it's the Jackal, it's, um, uh, the Green Goblin and it's. Uh, auto and that's it like well right and also i mean like you know for a character that was kind of dead for lack of a better word you know first we kind of had you know auto from the past in spider-verse and then we had auto reanimated and clone conspiracy and now now i feel like we're finally getting auto as a Spider-Man character, but like the evil Spider-Man character. I mean, this is in a lot of ways, this is kind of like the showdown we should have had in Goblin Nation. You know what I mean? Like, like this is, this is what they're setting up finally. And, you know, you can look at it two ways. It's either too late or there's been too much flim flam in between those two confrontations for this to mean anything anymore it's it's not special you know whereas i feel like if this was the first time these characters were crossing paths since the end of superior or if this is how superior ended with this kind of like you know mirror image you know good spider-man bad spider-man you know one-on-one with you know all things remaining equal you know peter's not fighting him from doc ock's dying body um i'd be into it Right. Yeah, I mean, we that... we joked two episodes ago about Dan Slott saying that this story would change everything, you know, and there's a big change in it. But like, I yeah, I, it didn't blow my mind. It was just seemed like, yep, that was bound to happen, you know. And uh, and as joy- enjoyable as it was, I mean, the story isn't really something to write home about. But you know, I love the costume redesign; is pretty neat, um, and I love. Otto's shouting, octopus sense tingling. Yes, which was funny. Although we yet again had another Dias cast line thrown in, which, as I said, what was it, two two issues ago? Retire that line. We got to retire it. Like, it's done. It's not funny anymore. Stop. Stop, Dan Slot. Yeah. Stop with the Dias cast. The die is not cast, okay? Uh, let's, let's, <laughs> let's come up with more cliched, hackney supervillain language. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I mean, we'll see where it goes. Uh, I'm not not excited about it, you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, like you said, there's an inevitability to it. Um, it, it looks good. I will say um, I, 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 I do actually appreciate, especially after the last couple of reveals in terms of villains, I did appreciate that Dance Lock kind of had the cards shown from the beginning about who where Otto ended up like because that was kind of my other like 
grown during the end of clone conspiracy. It's like, are we going to get like another six months of story of, is this Otto? Is that Otto? Or like, you know, he would be in costume, but what does he look like? And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, is it, is it him? Is it the guy in the beard? Is it the guy? <laughs> um, and it's just nice to, you know, just not have to deal with that again. <laughs> To not sit there and be like, the man in red, is it Ben? Is it, is it? Well, no, as as Dan Gavazin said, it's 100% Norman Osborne. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and like what I said, it's the guy from Miracle Man. <laughs> I, know. I was only a few issues off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, talk about our grade, shall we? Sure. Um, for me, I, I, I put the main story as a B plus um, because I did really find it. And I think I think if, you know, if, if the comic was just this story and maybe even the one backup, it, it, I might even have elevated that grade. But it kind of gets dragged down by all this other stuff. So I gave the whole shebang a C plus. Yeah, and I'm not too far off. I like the main story, I think, a little more than you. Uh, I'm giving it an A-. minus. It felt like a real return to classic Spidey that I love reading. Um, and so maybe that's a curve, but I, I thought this was a genuinely intriguing start to a Spider-Man story, which Dan Slott typically does fairly well. Um, although, even in that sense, I thought this was better than the usual stuff. Um and I agree with you. The rest of it was like so ho hum. It drags the whole thing down to a C plus. Um, Ten dollars is too much to spend on any comic. Yeah, this is not a precedent Marvel should want to be kind of following up on, in my opinion. I, mean, I, I think it's an editorial office that is way too confident. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll, we'll we'll see in a few weeks how it how what if their confidence paid off. Why don't we uh, hear from our fans? Spider, yes, of course. So uh, Dan, as as I like to remind people when we do actually have these moments of feedback. Uh, we love to hear from you all. We have many outlets for you to to reach out to us. Uh, you know, I think probably one of the, the key ways is to leave us reviews and ratings on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and YouTube, and um, that helps us grow as a community. And we'll read those comments on the air. Uh, the other thing you could do is you could shoot us an email that is amazing spider talk at gmail.com. You could also tweet at both of us uh, on Twitter and hashtag it okay to print if you want to do it that way. And uh, lastly, there is our hotline, which is nine red goblin, uh, which uh, for all your hotline needs. Uh, Dan, it looks like we got a couple of ratings from on iTunes here. I'm going to read the first one here. It's from. Clint Benesh or Clint dot Benesh. Um, great web fun. Five out of five stars. 
Where to start? I got back into ASM after a long absence with Volume 3. I enjoyed Spider-Verse. Sorry, guys, because it was a load of fun with all the different Spidey heroes. I fell off when they once again rebooted for Volume 4. I still had it on my pull list, but was wavering. I then found this podcast, and you two have encouraged me to keep going. It is a blast to follow along with you two and see your insights. It makes the 4 to $5 price of each issue worth it. They really need to give you two a cut. <laughs> I think we I both love- agree with that. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Uh, I love the essentials. I've been working through them and uh, buying the issues you talk about to continue my ASN collection. Thanks again, you two. Keep up the great work. It's funny, Dan. You know, like here, here we are. You know, you and I have talked offline. Like, oh, are we too negative on the new book and stuff like that? And here's someone who's actually making it sound like our talk about the new book keeps them buying. So um, we're not too negative, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> Do we need to get more negative? No, 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 no. No, no. I mean, like, uh, uh, our feedback, even if we don't like an issue, I feel like um, our love of the character still shines through, which I think brings us to the next review from Mr. Blalock. Blalock. I don't know if I'm okay. saying that right. Sure. Blalock. All right. Well, thank you, Mr. Blalock, for writing in because uh, he's given us five out of five stars. Amazing spider talk indeed. And uh, he says, as a Spider-Man fan from when I was very young, I picked up Amazing Spider-Man number 303 when I was six years old. How old does that make Mr. Blalock? Uh, uh, oh, I can't do math right now. Mark's, I'm th- Mark's brain is kaput after running I'm half think, a I'm marathon. I'm going to guess that's around, like, he's probably around my age, maybe a little little younger than me. So I'm going to say I'm going to put Blalock at um, 34. All right. All right. Mr. Blalock, let us know. Shoot us an email. See how Mark's math was. Well, anyway, okay. uh, he says, I've always enjoyed a friendly discussion of comics with friends, debating the good, the bad, and the ridiculously outfitted which I think is appropriate for the superior octopus in this issue. Yes. <laughs> uh, that is exactly what you get with Amazing Spider Talk, the feeling that you're listening to and sometimes talking back to a conversation among friends. And what could be more appropriate for a podcast devoted to our friendly neighborhood web slinger? Dan and Mark are thoughtful, witty, and personable. They are constructively critical of stories and arcs they don't necessarily like, which some of the competition can't seem to do. I look forward to each new episode and look forward to one day matching your own achievement and owning the full run. I've got 193 to go. This is the best Spider-Man podcast, period. Well, that's... But, that, but does he include the annuals? Oh, see, there, there you go. There you go. That's the, that's the question. Uh, he has kind of inadvertently weighed in one way or the other without us being able to tell. Uh, so, Mr. Blalock, you've got to write in and let us know if we got your age right and... If your collection is as incomplete as Mark's is. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, speaking of our fans, let's get to talking about our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. Welcome to one of our favorite parts of the show, the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. It's, well, maybe not our favorite, but it's certainly the most long-winded 
uh, <laughs> part of the show. Um, and a couple weeks ago, I announced that we'd be giving away our newest prize, which is kind of a grab bag, loot crate-ish box of a bunch of random spider goodies. Uh, I'll say there's a Spider-Man Pez dispenser in there. So if you if you like those things, uh, you're going to get one of those. And we have a winner Mark, uh, you want to make some random sound effect that's going to cue me up for making this announcement? There you go. All right, that's nice. All right, and the winner is Drake Holman. So, Drake, keep an eye on your mailbox. You'll be getting this box in the mail, and you can open it up like the Ark of the Covenant and hope that your face doesn't melt off from all the spidey goodness. Of course... If you'd like to join our Patreon club, you can go to our website and click on the big buttons that say Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. And it will take you over to our Patreon where you'll get entered into a raffle to win all kinds of prizes and get monthly prizes in the mail, etc., etc., etc. One of the other things we do is if after you reach a certain uh, you know, like a reward level, you get to make an announcement on the show, either from us reading it or you reading it or whatever. So we actually have two of those for you today. The first one comes from Chris Stokes, our longtime supporter, and uh, he has a special announcement to make. Uh, they wanted us to read on the show. So, Mark, do you want to read his uh, his announcement? Absolutely. So he begins. Uh, Dan and Mark, thanks for the chance to share something on the podcast. I don't personally have anything to plug, but I'd love to take this opportunity to make your listeners aware of a spectacular organization, Let America Vote. As Spider-Man fans, we all know that with great power, there must also come great responsibility. As Americans, one of our greatest powers is the right to vote for our leaders and representatives. Voting in our country has never been easy, but there's a new challenger. There's a new challenge, excuse me. (laughs) Sinister interests and craven politicians are now trying to stop Americans from voting because of who they are likely voting for in an election. Extreme voter suppression laws that disproportionately impact people based on their race, ethnicity, gender, age, or income have started popping up all over the country. If we don't fight back, more and more Americans will become caught in the web of disenfranchisement. Let America Vote is a new organization formed to combat voter suppression through grassroots activism, lobbying, and financially bolstering opposition to voter suppression efforts around the country. To learn more about how you can be amazing and join the fight by donating, volunteering, or signing up to host friendly neighborhood planning meetings, go to www.letamericavote.org. And remember to like and follow Let America Vote on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, yeah, so I, I would urge our people to swarm to those websites, Dan. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I can think of nothing more important than uh, uh, voting uh, in today's uh, day and age. You know, I was actually really disappointed. We had a big vote here in L.A., you know, local elections, and only 18 – or I think it was like 12 percent of our population voted. And you know what? Like – with only 12% voting, you, you know, you kind of deserve what you get, you know, like if only 12% can show up, like, what does that say? So everybody needs to register and stay on top of voting because it's easy to do. And the number one right and responsibility you have is an American. Yeah. And, and the less people that are doing it, the harder it's going to become. That's the problem too. 
I was going to say, we, we, you want to get to the other message we got? Yeah, sure. We actually got um, a recorded message from another uh, Patreon supporter, and that's from Kevin Ewing. Take it away, Kevin. Mark, Dan, big fan, Kevin Ewing. Hey, everyone. Sad attempt at Civil War dialogue aside, one of the many great benefits of being a member of the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Doc Members Club, why did they call it that, is that you come on the show and say anything you want. Well, probably not anything, so I'll say this. A little over a year ago, I decided to do a read-through of my Spider-Man comics. Rather than finish an issue and immediately start the next, I wanted to do something that would make each issue have a longer-lasting impression for me. So I decided to tweet my favorite moment from that issue. Sometimes it's an awesome moment, a funny one, a sad one, often a heartwarming moment. It's been a lot of fun rereading Spidey comics in order from the beginning and coming up with a favorite moment. If you'd like to follow along, I'm at KevinEwing22 on Twitter. I'd also like to highly recommend, for those that haven't, to listen to the Civil War II Amazing Spider-Man episode of Amazing Spider Talk, where you'll get a very informative description of the super fun hashtag Drunk Pete that occurs every Saturday night. Give it a listen, and then partake in the fun. And keep up the excellent work on the podcast, Mark and Dan. Uh, so, Mark, do you follow Kevin on uh, on Twitter, following his kind of like uh, rather frequent updates? He's blowing through a read-through of, uh, of the Spider-Man comics. It's nice, at least for me. I like seeing all the photos he puts up um, of all, all of his favorite moments from each issue that he's reading. Yeah, you know, now I have context for it because I didn't realize why he was doing it that way. I was originally just like, oh, wow, he's like a real big super fan and is just putting his favorite moments from comics up. But now it all makes sense to me. So I'm glad he called in and said that. Yeah, that's very cool. So everybody should go follow him on Twitter and also participate in those awesome drunk Pete's uh, they do every weekend. So uh, yes. those are a lot of fun. Well, again, you know, thanks for everybody supporting us. And if you'd like to be a part of it, be sure to sign up on our Patreon page. Um, next up, we got to talk about some spider news. So, Dan, I, I <laughs> kind of went to sleep one night and woke up, and there was going to be a Venom movie again in a year. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I feel that way about everything that comes out of Sony. It's like yeah. it changes day to day. So, yes, we got this news that there will be a Venom movie that's releasing on October 5th, 2018. There's no director attached. Uh Although early reports suggested that Alex Kurtzman was a, was attached, and then that was denied by Sony, and then there's like a script that was penned by Scott Rosenberg, who wrote Con Air, and Jeff Pinker, who wrote Amazing Spider-Man Two, which I'm sure will make people all the more excited about seeing these people tackling a Venom movie. I, I, I just you know I, I, I mean all I know spoiler alert. In, in the Venom chapter in my book, Dan, I mentioned there was talk of a movie, but that's not happening. <laughs> that was uh, how, and the, Mark, I, I, the, I think there's a good chance that that part of your book will remain right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, I, l- let me put it to you like this, Dan. When I saw this, this moment, I had like this like split second hesitation of, oh, maybe I should like call this edit into my editor because I'm still at the phase where we can tweak a couple of things before it publishes. But I'm like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> this is not happening. Come on. 
Yeah, I think I think you're right. Although that animated Spider-Man movie is moving ahead and I mean, it's going to really come down to I think like how well Spider-Man Homecoming does and whether or not Marvel you know says if you want Spider-Man to keep participating in our universe, you know, you got to play by our rules. And uh I mean, again, it's the kind of thing that I I don't think this is going to happen, but if it does happen, it's the kind of thing that I think people over-celebrated the idea of Spider-Man joining the MCU because Marvel did not get ownership back of the character. They're just supervising. And I think keeping this stuff in Sony's hands is, is I think they should have played the long game and flat out bought it back from Sony. Yeah. I mean, you know, but the problem was, you know, they had movies coming up where they felt compelled to use Spider-Man. So they had to come up with a compromise. I mean, yeah, the way civil war, the movie shook out, Spider-Man, as enjoyable and great as he was, was totally superfluous to the movie. And yet, like, how do you do a Civil War movie without Spider-Man, you know? I think you could have uh, done it, and it would have been well, a better yeah. movie, but... <laughs> well, no, you're you're right, but it's like, I think on the surface, it's like, you know, if there was, like, an opportunity to make that happen, and they didn't do it, fans would have been livid, you know what I mean? Like... I don't know. We'll yeah, at, at the expense of there being a Sony-produced Venom movie. Right. I just, yeah, I just don't, well, anyway, let's go to the next item. Yeah, all right. So next um, up, uh, this one's yeah. more niche. Yeah, this is friend of the pod, Rod Friends. He's on Facebook now, right? Like, this just, he joined, what, a couple weeks ago, it seems like, right? And he's making a big splash. Yeah, he, well, you, you. You tell us what he's been doing. Well, he's just been posting a ton of stuff, uh, a ton of great stuff, you know, like a lot of the behind the scenes information about his time on the book. You know, much of it we've covered on the show before, but um, it's been a real joy to see him on there interacting with our show and and our fans and and just kind of telling these behind the scenes stories that I haven't known about. But then he also – I thought this was like the coolest thing that he did. He put up these kind of rejected editorial sketches uh, from his Fire Lord issues that he had gone back and redrawn. So it's like getting brand new covers for the Fire Lord issues, and they were awesome. Uh, yeah, super cool. I'll put it in the podcast or wherever. Um, but if you haven't gone to our site and checked them out yet, uh, please be sure to do that because I think they're awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know. This is and this is not meant to any disrespect to other creators on Facebook, but I mean, you know, a lot of times, you know, we're we're friends with a handful of them, you know, especially those that have like come on the show and stuff like that, and you know, they're they're there and they're sharing little tidbits here and there, but but like Ron is really, you know, I guess it's not it shouldn't be a surprise just based on our own conversations with Ron. He's very he's very giving in his time and, and his experience in terms of what he went through and what he thinks about the character and, and, and comics in general, but just, just the wave of information we're getting from his Facebook feed. It's, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's like, you know, he should write a book. Maybe he should do the hundred things Spider-Man book. (laughs) (laughs) You might have more to say than me. (laughs) There you go. 150 things uh, co-written by you and Ron Friends. There you go. <laughs> but it's it's you know I'm sure you can if 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 you know I, I, I don't want I don't want poor Ron to get like 
tsunamied by um, friend requests, but I'm sure you could probably follow his feed too, right? Yeah, I think most of his stuff is public, and I think you'll have a real good time uh, uh, reading it. Yeah. Um, Dan, what's this last item? Because I don't, I don't think I know what it's what it's referring to. Yeah, well, um, Dan Slot uh, recently went into the CBR forums. You know, where all good things uh, live and exist. I'm already regretting asking what this news item is, Dan. Oh, this this news item is exhausting, uh, Mark. Uh, oh, okay, but is this, uh, is, is, was this as good as his fight with John Byrne on the John Byrne? Not as juicy. The the John Byrne one is juicy because it's two creators, just like. Batman and Supermaning, you know, like yeah. uh, uh, like just coming to pure blows, and uh, and it's kind of just a train wreck, you know, like because these two people are both kind of in the wrong. In right. this one, Dan Slott decides I got nothing better to do than to go into the CBR forums and like yell at people that want uh, Spider Man and Mary Jane to be married again and tell them that they're fools, and they might be fools. But Dan Slott basically, like, what what I took away from it, because I'm trying not to get involved in all of that kind of, like, petty drama, is uh, that, like, Dan Slott basically said, there's no way that they'll ever be married again. Like, that they might get back together as a couple, but um, he does not see any future where any editorial team, new, old, whatever, will ever get these people back together. And also described how difficult it was uh, for him to get Renew Your Vows even approved. And he also encouraged people to go out and buy that book, obviously, um, to kind of support it. Um, so, I mean, anybody that wants the marriage to happen, it seems like Dan Slott is saying, I mean, in in hundreds of inflammatory words... Uh, right. it's not going to happen. Um, so, I mean, it was an interesting thing to learn and something I guess we've suspected for a long time. I don't know if it was the most appropriate way to deliver that news, but I'm not going to really, I mean, other than the kind of like sarcastic tone of my voice, I'm not really going to ju- judge, uh, uh, him, but I, I, I think, uh, it was an interesting news bit in, in certain regards. I mean, I mean, Dan, we've talked about this at length. I mean, you know, I am I am past the marriage, and we do have Renew Your Vows. If you are, really are hard up for a married Peter, read Renew Your Vows. And if you're going to say, well, it doesn't count, I mean, wh- what counts in comics? Comics are comics. It's a, it's a fictional story. It's a fictional universe. In that universe, they're married. Read it, you know? Like, if that's what you want, read it. Um, but, I mean, I guess, you know, my one... And, you know, not that it doesn't sound like Dan Slott closed the door on this. I mean, I would I would like to see Mary Jane be a functional part of the supporting cast again. I mean, that would be my one thing, you know, yeah. like but um, just because, you know, going back before the marriage, she was a functional when when she was a functional part of the supporting cast, like under Jerry Conway and then later under DeFalco and Friends. I mean, she was a great character in my mind, you know, like I thought she was great. Um, but, um, you know, this kind of keeping them in separate corners, except for like when Peter and Iron Man team up isn't very, I don't know, proactive either. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of those weird things where it's like, they should so be together. 
still, I wonder if writers avoid it because they're just like, I don't know how to write around that. Like it, like everything about this character says it like should happen again. Right. Uh, like if you write her accurately, you know, and it's hard to kind of like avoid that. And also their history is so insanely impossible to understand, you know, post one more day. Like I think people are very just timid to dive into that. Yeah. And people well, you know. being Dan Slott. Yeah. Cause he really, yeah. Oh, well. So I'm glad he decided to take it upon himself to go into CBR and talk about it. I'm sure, I'm sure it went well. You can read the whole dialogue over bleeding cool. Uh, oh, God. so, so there you go. <laughs> Did, did he then follow this up by like yelling at Rich Johnson on Twitter? I I I really must have blacked this one out. I got to be honest with you. No, I, I did not see it get big on on Twitter. I just saw it pop up on Bleeding Cool and was like, "Oh, an article about Dan Slott on Bleeding Cool. Somebody get me popcorn." And... I, I, I was I was too busy watching uh, following Swarm subtweeting Representative Steve King all week. So, <laughs> well, that was great too. That was definitely great too. Uh, that's at Nazi B Skeleton on Twitter, everyone. Yeah, exactly. If you want to see uh, our, our fictional Nazi uh, talk about real Nazis, apparently. Uh, <laughs> anyway, on that note. <laughs> Why don't we get to the end of the show, Dan? Sure. Well, of course, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts over at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube by searching for none other than, you guessed it, Amazing Spider Talk. Mark, did you guess it? Uh, was I supposed to, like, come in on that or something? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, uh, you know. Anyway, leave us a review there. If you like what we're doing, leave us a review. We're almost at 100 actual written reviews. So uh, it, would, it would move my heart to tears if hearts were able to cry uh, if you left us a review. Wow. That's impressive. <laughs> an, an interesting uh, string of English words. Yes, words, words, what do they mean? Anyway, additionally, be sure to check out our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin, if you want to keep up with the adventures of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen Stacy. And it seems like that story is almost over, or did it end? No, it's almost over. Yeah. Whew. Clearly, you're you're totally caught up. Yeah, well, I'm... I've not read the the adjectiveless Spider-Man yet. I haven't I either, that. actually. Okay, All but, right, so but I know they have a new podcast up about it, so I got to read it and listen in. Okay, uh, Mark. Next week we'll be doing another one of our essentials picks. It's going to be your pick. Now I know what we're discussing, but why don't you tell the fine listeners at home what we're going to be talking about so that they can catch up with us? Yeah, Dan, uh, this is my pick. I thought with the uh, Norman Osborn story, uh, we probably should get something Osborn family centric. Uh, so my pick is it's mostly going to be Spectacular Spider-Man number two hundred. That's the issue we're going to focus on. But you know, you could probably do yourselves a favor and read a lot of the spectacular Spider-Man run that kind of leads up to that issue uh, by J.M. Demetrius and Sal, Sal Buscema from the early 90s. I mean, I think Child Within starts around Spectacular 176-ish, I think. Oh, boy. I, I think probably... it's 176, 177, 189, and 200. 
Well, child within itself, I think, is a bunch of issues. Okay. Uh, yeah. Hold on. This is this is we're we're gonna we're gonna do this. Uh, some great revision. All right, you go look. I'll talk to the listeners at home. Okay. Yeah. All right, listeners. This morning I went out and I got myself you know a really great bagel. Uh, which is rare in in LA. They found don't it, really found it. Found okay. it. Found it. <laughs> it's 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 on chasing the maze. Spectacular Spider-Man number one seventy eight to one eighty four, oh. one eighty nine to one ninety, and then two hundred. Okay. Uh, one eighty nine is like your personal favorite, right? I think the that book is like cover. really freaking creepy. Yeah, it's like the dinner party, right? Yes, uh, and it's a lot of like crazy goblin inventions, and it has this great like three panel page of uh you know uh peter uh and mary jane in their apartment with that kind of smoking pumpkin bomb it's awesome uh but i just reread 200 and that book i didn't remember how incredible that book is so i hope everybody can catch up and read the spectacular spider-man 200 and join in with us because i think it's going to be a fun conversation yeah you can find it on marvel unlimited so um it's one of the few spectacular books they still have on there. And, uh, yeah, so, so check out that book. Dan, where can we find you on the Internet? Yeah, you can find me on the Internet over on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk. That's all of my Spider-Man tweeting. And at Dan Gavazdan for all of my personal stuff. If you are so inclined and interested, I'm actually making my first graphic novel. Um, and you can find that on Facebook by looking up Comic entropy um and you'll find out about my graphic novel which is in four words michelle obama in space so if that sounds interesting go check it out i can't wait for you guys all to read it uh mark what about you where can we find you on the internet this week it's funny you mentioned entropy jan because i think my legs have gone into atrophy (laughs) for so long after running for an hour and 40 minutes today um Yes, of course. You can find me on the internet at superiorspiretalk.com, where I probably, hopefully, soon will be wrapping up that There and Brock Again series. Sorry for the delay on that, Dan. Uh, And uh, you can also find me on chasingamazingblog.com, where I uh, will probably have another post up sooner instead of later. Uh, And then, of course, you can find me on Twitter at chasingasmblog, uh, where you will see me tweeting about lots of stuff, including... Uh, little facts and tidbits that are uh, kind of being teased out in advance of my book, which you can pre-order. Uh, that book is 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, where you can find that uh, at all major book retailers and on triumphbooks.com. That is the publisher. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously you can go to the big bookstores too, but, you know, do it for Triumph too because that would be good. Dan... What crazy stuff are you going to have me, Uncle Ben, about? Yeah, you know, well, uh, you know, everybody when they're growing up has to have a childhood pet, you know. And I remember you telling me about how eager you were to, to get a dog, enough that you, like, found a stray dog and invited it into your house. And, of course, that made Aunt May very upset. Uh, but how did your Uncle Ben respond to this? Well, you know... Uncle Ben was always the pragmatist in the house, as we've talked about. So um, he actually he he bought me a fish, uh, you know, kind of as a as a mea culpa, like, oh, you know, you shouldn't have had the dog. So 
He he. You ever see those? I think they're called like the Japanese fighting fish. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah, beautiful fish, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely uh, beautiful. So thousands um, of dollars, though. You know, Ben had some deep pockets. No, 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 not. I, I mean, I guess some are, but like, no. These, <clears throat> I had them as a kid. This is. Well, obviously, I have him as a kid. I'm talking about a story from when I'm a kid, but uh, Real Mark had him as a kid too, Dan. They're not all super expensive. Oh, okay, but, uh, all right, all right. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, are you so, suggesting that there's a Real Mark and that somehow these stories didn't actually occur? Yes. No. Let me finish. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, Japanese fighting fish. So, um, you know. Do you know the story about the Japanese funny fish, though? If you put them in the same tank with each other, they do this thing. It's like the kiss of death, and they, they kill each other. Like, I mean, it's it's discouraged, especially if you get, like, the $1,000 kind, right? Yeah. Um, so when, when when Uncle Ben brought this fish home, I mean, he only brought home one. And I was just kind of like, well, what, what's, what's the fun in this? I mean, like... Uncle Ben, you bought me one Japanese fighting fish. I want to. I want to see what happens. I want to see them fight each other. And he's just like, I'm not gonna get another fish, just so you can kill it, you know, by having them fight each other. So I kind of like pouted and and whatever. Um, and so Uncle Ben's like, all right, let's just see what happens if I stick my head in the tank. And Dad, it was it was just terrible. It um, sounds like a really bad idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would think Uncle Ben would have learned with the monkeys and the and the mob ties, but nope. Stuck his head in the tank, and and Dan, can you guess what happened? Uh, they like kissed. <laughs> yeah, the kiss of death, and well, <laughs> with the last few gasps of life, Uncle Ben. Glubbed out great power. <laughs> Wait, with great power? No, that's not what he said. He said, with great podcast. <laughs> you got to also crowd of amazing time.